All right. Welcome back to the Church in Your Head podcast, the podcast that helps you escape the church in your head or somebody else's head. I'm your uh, host, Brandon, and with me is my co-host, Scott. What's going on? How you doing, Brandon? Oh, man. I'm doing great. I had a great Christmas, New Year's. It was wonderful. How about you? You can't say Christmas. It's offensive. Oh, yeah, Um, that's right. Don't say that. You had a great holiday. Xmas holiday. (laughs) Uh, It was good. It was good. Ready to be back uh, in action again on a a routine Um, and, uh, you know, trying to get my brain fired up again. Easy to happen, easy to go downhill when you when you stop thinking about work and and you just focus on other things. And before you know it, you realize you're uh, you're uh, you're feeling like you're getting dumber. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, like when you don't use your brain, like for working, like most of your week, it's almost like, hey, what what am I doing? Am I am I is my brain being lazy? Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. <laughs> and then when it's like when it's time to go back. You got to kickstart everything up, like try to warm up the engine again and takes a few days to get back into it. But uh, yeah, no, we're excited to be back. Um, yeah. Hopefully everybody out there had a great Christmas and New Year's. I think that going into this next uh, show today, we talked about, we kind of did quite a bit of different, you know, talking about, you know, the wolves and and ultimately, you know, discerning truth from the wolves. And we got a little bit into synergy of the will. And how our will is truly active and participates uh, in our salvation, uh, not in a uh, works-based righteousness way, because it's not our works we're doing, it's God's, and it's all by grace. And so the will being deified, uh, because we obviously go from the ecumenical council's decisions on Christ uh, being deified, uh, assuming a human nature that is we all share, that had a mind, a will, body, a soul— um, so today I thought we'd talk about the idea of knowing truth. Uh, we, we, we talk a lot about objective truth here. We want you to know that you can know objective truth, but how does that work out when it comes to our anthropology and the human nature that Christ assumed, uh, the idea of the mind knowing truth. Now, uh, this can be very controversial. Uh, some Protestants may, be- may believe that, uh, you know, truth is, you know, we look through a glass half dimly, they'll, they'll bring up the verse and, it, and we can't really know for sure, for sure. Uh, we can kind of get a general idea, which will be the core doctrines, quote unquote. Um, but then, you know, with the classical reformers, uh, classical Protestants, which they, their teachings would maybe say, well, you can know truth, uh, but the effects of sin are kind of have been kind of so damaging on us that uh, our ability to reason properly about truth um, can be affected. So it can be clouded. So even the idea of knowing that objectively um, can even be difficult. So Scott, I don't know if you want to speak on this a little bit as we go into it. Well, that's why we bring up questions. They're not divisive. I mean, as our kids are going through school, I mean, we encourage them to ask questions, especially when they they feel like they're timid. Because I I noticed some of my kids do that where they're afraid to raise their hand. And a lot of kids uh, get like that at schools. But we as parents encourage them in order for you to understand something. You want to not only ask a question, but if there's a good teacher there, they're going to also expect it to help clarify and help lead to a a truth that is is an ultimate truth. It's not a uh, I ask a question. And then the teacher has a different interpretation of what might be the answer. Um, and if we're talking about things around like math or something, you know, there's going to be an objective answer. But in order for you to see that, it's going to help to to use logic, reason, critical thinking, or just regular good old fashioned questioning to to see what is going to be true or not. And nowadays, where we see the church is 
I would say more of the, uh, maybe the classical reform churches, they do a pretty good job of this where they're open to questioning. You and I have been in part of that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they're not afraid to ask those questions. And for a while, I think that was in my mind when I was in it, that was enough because it was great. It was, it was encouraging to, to kind of bring up questions that you had like deep, deep down and, and, you know, in your mind or deep into your mind, but you, and wherever you came from, you just really weren't in a position to even bring up those questions either because you were just timid or, or maybe you're shy or you wanted to, but you were afraid of what might be the consequences of it. Cause someone might hear you ask a question that might be uh, considered divisive or controversial, or you may have seen it in a different example from your friends who have done that. And you go, wow, that didn't work out so well for them. Uh, I'm going to hold back and just stay quiet. And that is certainly not what we want to encourage but with questioning leading to truths within going back to this, you know, more the, the Reformation type church, the Reformed churches, which I love. What I've noticed now is they ask the questions, but then they can't get to a solution or at least get to an objective answer. And so what do they do? They split or they branch off and they move on. And we've talked about this. You know, I feel like this is beating a dead horse here on all our shows. But I'm, I'm hearing again, more and more churches continue to split because they, they bring up these questions around doctrine. And then they can't agree. And, and what they are using their premise in terms of the how you identify what is true, who's right, who's wrong, is really comes down to the intellect of, of who's the smartest or who's using the, the most scholarly approach to their, their argumentation on why my doctrine is correct. And the other side is saying, well, this is you're wrong. And they bring it all to the table. But they ultimately can't find a decision. And, and really, they just kind of split. And again, it's, it's not looked at as really a bad thing. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, this is a bad thing. This is a di- division of the church that has gone away from a one holy apostolic church to, to one many apostolic churches. And, and that is not something that I think is OK. So I think, what do you think as far as how do you start? with a question like is there good examples brandon that we can use to show how questions and logic in the practical world is not offensive and is encouraged uh sure yeah and i just want to speak real quick on what you just said it was really good stuff and i think the splitting of just constant splitting into new churches which really what it is 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 because truth ends up being presumed in one's head uh and not outside of us um this splitting will constantly be occurring because yeah. you have the church that somebody decides, well, this is how truth should be here. And a lot of it, it just has to do with what I see. This is what I see in scripture. This is what you see in scripture. The The church in my head, uh, this is what I want to believe. And people will look at that interpretation and go, well, I think that's true too. And then I'm going I'm to go around this guy. This is the guru that I want to follow. And then somebody does that with somebody else. And then it just never stops. But this is why tr- questions are so important, because the idea of somebody questioning and going, wait a minute, if we all just keep doing this, the truth is just going to just be this relativistic hodgepodge of just the church in your head, the church in your head. I go to his church in his head. I, you go to your church in his head or whatever. And there's no final objective truth. Really, there is no objective truth at all. It's yeah. just your truth and his truth. And that's what's hard about when you have to ask this question and step back, which a lot of Protestants, they probably come to this moment and they go, oh man, this is, this can't be right. Right. And then they start looking back now to wait a minute. Did the church actually have definitive decisions? Is there something I can objectively build my faith on? Or is it just, 
He strings the Bible together how he wants. He strings it up how he wants. He pulls his church fathers here. They pull their church fathers here. And it's just a a, a box of Legos that somebody took the box, and now you just have the pieces. Well, now we're just constantly point. stringing them up. Right? You brought up a good point. Yeah. It's, uh, you said looking back. That has to be the first part of questioning. And I think that's where people go off the track is no one's looking backwards, uh, thinking that there has been something established already for them. They're looking ahead. <laughs> That's where I think contributes to the, these divisions of the church is people are just looking for, we talked about being innovative, right? Um, mm-hmm. how, or at least the world is all about innovation and, and constantly upgrading and evolving. I work in tech and I see this all the time because that's how everything can get monetized and continue to generate revenue over revenue is they have to evolve and advance. And I think the church often takes that same mindset and, cr- and turns the church more or less into a business. And what you're doing is you're just simply looking forward, looking ahead to innovate, to evolve, to elaborate on something that right now isn't working anymore. So let's change it. And that's why I'm glad you said it. Like the first thing needs to be is stop looking ahead. Stop trying to be innovative. If if you're writing notes, that's the first thing is look backwards because the church has been established and and has been, been founded and grounded for us to work off of, which I think is if you really think about it, it should provide a bit more comfort because it's it's quite stressful trying to reinvent something or create something new, um, especially if you aren't business mindset. You know, you you might be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, there's anxiety that might come from trying to create something new and innovative in the Christian paradigm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's the idea of just continually trying to fix the church. It will never stop. Yeah. Because everybody's going to try to fix it better. And that's where we have to like give up on that uh, you know, viewpoint and say, okay, that doesn't work because that leads to, and that's where logic comes in. Now, we can't see logic. You could see scripture. Now, you have many people probably come to you and go, you see, my truth claim is clear in scripture. But then you have that you know, thing called logic. Now, logic you can't see. We use it all the time. You know, every day we use logic to process information. Uh, You know, two plus two, right? Well, that always equals four. Well, if you take the idea where the truth is in everybody's head, well, well, the numbers, two plus two can equal five to me. And that's what happens. Instead of going to the scriptures given to us by the church, two plus two equals four with their interpretation every time we have objective truth. No, now two plus two well, I put these verses together. Now it equals this doctrine. I put these verses together. Now it equals this doctrine. And it will never stop. You will hear it every day. But the only way to get it to stop logically, where do we find the objective interpretation? Well, we go to the church, the church who put the canon together. And even when the canon was still being processed, they're making decisions. They're making decisions dogmatically about what's true. And that's tough to swallow. You're like, well, well, the, it, you know, the scriptures were still there. It's like, well, yes, but they still hadn't deciphered all of them out yet. Yeah. And it's like the idea that we're not trusting them to know what the right scriptures are. I mean, why should we trust them about the Trinity? That's the thing. So, so you see how logic comes in and says two plus two always equals four. The church who put the Bible together doesn't get it wrong in interpreting it because the church is christ's institution the bishops he set up now yes some of them you know defect into heresy but he still keeps his church 
because he's Christ. He's God. He will keep his church. He said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And when we do keep doing this, two plus two can equal five because, well, the number two in my head is this much. These verses in my head equal this doctrine. That is not going to get you anywhere. You're going to be stuck yeah. in the church in your head and you're just going to keep going and going and going. And you listen to some of these, these uh, teachers and, uh, you know, you want to bring up an example. We uh, started, you know, on Twitter. So if you get a chance to you know, make sure you follow us, uh, Gavin Ortland. Uh, you might know him. Uh, he's a, I believe he's a Baptist pastor, right? Pastor, author, teacher. He made a uh, truth claim that the Seventh Ecumenical Council was wrong on the veneration of icons. And so uh, we decided to, we, we, we sent a tweet to him and, and, and we just asked this question. We just said, look, if you can reject arbitrarily the anathemas of the Seventh Ecumenical Council, then why can't a universalist reject the anathemas of the Fifth Ecumenical Council? Now, the Fifth Ecumenical Council um, condemned the idea of that, you know, uh, the wicked and demons would be eventually restored. They condemned that. That was anathema. And see, what that question is supposed to do is not to go, aha, Gavin, aha, we got you. No, it's supposed to help expose that this truth claim is not objective. This is just your opinion. And if we're just going by opinions, then why can't the universalist have his truth claim as well? Because you can't just go, well, uh, I think that one's, uh, the seventh council was wrong, but the fifth council, of course, was right about that. Do you see? If you get arbitrary with the councils, then why can't the Unitarian go to the Nicaea and go, well, Nicaea got it wrong with the Trinity. Actually, God is a unity, Unitarian. See what I mean? So it's like you basically are stuck in this arbitrary, you know, this is your church in, in your head, this is his church in his head. And you're never going to escape. But logic says, hold up. Two plus two always equals four. Numbers are not your mental construct. Truth is objective outside of you. The, the, in fact, numbers are actually, uh, you know, as we see from the church, these are, you know, abstract invariant objects that are actually located in the mind of God. Yeah. And so is truth located in the mind of God. Logic. This is the operating principles from the mind of God. So it's like when you understand that and you understand how when Christ comes and deifies our human nature and our minds, which that he assumes our human mind, then we have access to the mind of God through the spirit who he deifies our human nature and our rational reasoning faculties to discern truth. And no, that's yeah. not Gnostic. No, that is from deification. That is from being able to look logically at things and not have your secret knowledge, but to logically look. And where does logic point us to? Outside of us, to the church that Christ established. Well, secret knowledge assumes that there was no a divine revelation given to people. And, and I think that's that's the problem with that, that logic in it of itself is that you've cut off the idea of there's an original source. And we would say if we were writing like a whiteboard session on this, it would start with the Trinity and how the Trinitarian God has revealed himself, one God, three persons, to, the, we'd say, the apostles, and the apostles kind of, and we go down this apostolic succession, the holding on to the doctrinal keys and so forth. And this, this whole idea of looking and starting with the Trinity, starting with Revelation, is a way to objectively kind of, you're almost like comparing when, when someone brings a truth claim, now you can have like something to look to and say, wait, 
is that in line with what was already given to us, given to the church? As opposed to if there, if there's a break and there was never really truly re, true revelation, it's all everyone's up for their own interpretation. Well, then really you can't push back that person who brings up a truth claim that is in opposition of yours. You just can't do that anymore because everyone's just going to come up with their their best ability to what they see. We, we're going to see this a lot. We're going to talk more about this in the future. And I, I did a quick you know search on just the the the, the term you know it's clear in scripture that that phrase is used so much. Um, throughout Twitter, and, and you wouldn't even hear that even in Bible studies when people start arguing over something. Well, it's clear in Scripture. What that's saying is I don't know where else to look to to see if it's really clear in Scripture. I'm just stuck in my own head of what I see. And for me, using my you know my eyes and what I'm reading, is it just doesn't make sense whoever's kind of challenging you. And, you know, I think having different interpretations isn't bad either, Brandon. I think we also want to accept that. Like, like, you know, paintings are great because not everyone appreciates a certain painting. It is very subjective and that's the way it ought to be because its value is, is towards people who see, you know, the idea or the beauty behind that picture or painting that others might see it as, I don't really see that as pretty. That's okay. You're not going to ever buy that painting. But when it comes to salvation, eternity, your soul, we, we treat the church like a painting where everyone just has an idea of what they like about it or what they don't like about it. And those that don't like it want to change it or repaint a new, get a new canvas and paint something different or even worse, paint over the existing painting. And, and they think that's better. And I, I think I just, I get frustrated to see, you know, those that kind of just take this mindset around not wanting to accept objectivity. I even heard someone say a little while back, you can never find objective truth. I remember hearing that and I believe them at the time because isn't that sentence like you can never find objective truth. I won't say not a cop out, but doesn't it like, it almost makes it where you don't, don't dig further or, or don't, don't accept that you can find something because maybe the person that's telling me this also tried it and couldn't find it. And so you're going to only exhaust yourself. And it seems like it's more of this, uh, ecumenistic, you know, like we all can play fair in the sandbox and, uh, let's not be mean because saying the thing, you know, saying objective church or objective truth, objective doctrine, those things aren't, aren't really there objectively. And, you know, I don't think that's going to be uh, helpful for anyone that's starting to question and starting to realize, okay, the church nowadays is falling by the wayside. People are giving in to doctrine to demons. People are accepting heresy. And we've talked about this in the show, Brandon, many times what mm -hmm. heresy is. Uh, you mentioned anathema. You want to briefly explain what anathema is? Because that's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ultimately the church saying, hey, this is bad for you. <laughs> Don't yeah. believe this. Uh, you know, in the Fifth Council, if they're telling you to not believe universalism, well, you can probably guess why that's probably unhealthy, right? If somebody's like, oh, universalism, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'll, you know, ultimately be saved in the end. I mean, why do I need to really Sounds like know, a great try doctrine. to do the right thing? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there is some, you know, other views of universalism, uh, Apocatastasis view, uh, where that everybody will ultimately be saved finally, but there will be like a, a a longer purgation of their soul. So they will be kind of like a, you know, a semi hell, I guess. Uh, but they will ultimately be delivered out of that and be restored with everybody else. So, uh, but the fifth council was very specific that no, uh, demons or wick, the wicked will ultimately be restored again. So the so, idea is condemned or is, is anathematized, meaning that it's, it's, it's just ingredient. And we'd say is that's bad for you. It's like the FDA finally giving in and realizing, Oh, this drug that we promoted is no longer good. 
you know, in fact, you have entitlement to money and it's all, all this funny stuff, but it's, you know, yeah, they're accepting it as this is harmful for your body. And we're saying the same thing. Anathema is just what harmful for your soul. Yes. Right. Right. I mean, to, to not do something, you know, like the idea of, you know, the veneration of icons, the church is deemed this healthy for your soul understanding. And we can get more into that, you know, another time, that's going to be a whole new, you know, topic yeah. we can discuss, but the idea of, you know, the church is, is, is condemning those views that would discourage a practice. They're also condemning views that would encourage, you know, uh, you know obviously sinfulness, like, uh, like, you know, telling somebody that, you know, everybody's ultimately going to be saved anyway. So uh, the idea of uh, what is antinomianist living of just yeah. kind of doing whatever you want, whatever, you know, Jesus loves me. Uh, but that's very unhealthy. You know, obviously we're called, our works are not uh, just for us to, you know, just to, oh, well, just don't do bad things now. No, our, the works of God that God deifies our human nature to do is for our neighbor. You know, we are called to love them, show them the light of Christ. And we do that by cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And that's how we are a light for the world. We show people, you know, this, that God, like it says in the scripture, God is, you know, essentially reaching out through us to people to tell them, hey, I love you. This is, this. you don't know who you are. You, you know, you've been brought up in this system that's telling you all life is about is you. All life is about is these these idols that, you know, get the most out of pleasure and get the most out of stuff and then you die. But there's something greater that we get to show the world as we participate in the life of the Trinity. And that's the, but part of participating in the life of the Trinity is not just accepting somebody's truth claim, but being active, our minds being active, utilizing our brains to, uh, as they're obviously, uh, as we talk about being deified in Christ, that we can discern truth and not discerning truth in a mean way, but discerning truth in love and explaining to people in love as it is in Timothy, right? Where it says being gentle to people, Scott, mm -hmm. about in gently instructing those who are essentially hurting themselves. So this whole podcast should be something as you listen, we're trying to gently in the nicest way possible. I know church in your head can be a little offensive title, but the idea is we're trying to show you, look, this is hurting you and it'd be good to start questioning things yeah. because the more you don't, it won't stop hurting you. Heresy is not like, oh, I'm going to hurt you a little bit today and maybe not the next couple of weeks. No, it, it, it's always hindering you and it's hindering you from loving other people. It's hindering you from putting uh, pride in check, uh, the lusts of your eyes, the lust of your flesh in check. And that's the problem. Heresy will always be a detriment. And when you see it that way, you're not going to be mean to your pastor. You're going to be like, you know what? I've been looking at, into these doctrines that you're preaching, and I am very, very concerned. And I've looked and historically um, how this just doesn't align up with what the church, the undivided church, the mind of the church is taught. And I, I'm just, I'm sorry, but we are going to have to leave the church or maybe the pastor would consider looking into those with you because in the end of the day, doctrines are just not these fun things we believe. You know, just like food is just not this thing you fill your stomach bag with, right? It's like we have food because there's we can choose to eat good foods. We can choose to eat bad foods, right? There's objectively, we can look and say, okay, if I want to be objectively healthy, what do I have to eat? What do I have to not eat? If I want to be objectively spiritually healthy, what do I have to eat? You know, what do I have to hear? What do I have to do? Because obviously, you know, Christianity is a participation, right? Of the whole self, Mind, body, soul, will, Christ assumes all of that, right? So that's the ultimate, uh, uh, the, the greatest thing about Christianity is it's a true participation. We're not just following a bunch of rules. 
I mean, and, and so Scott, well, that's nice. It's yeah. nice to know. I mean, we, we can get into this in another show, but in, in, in the spirit of the incarnation, I mean, that's what Christ did. When we talk about deifying or assuming, he's assumed all of us. And so, that, I mean, that's how he relates and how we could participate. That's how we're even capable of participating. I think it was a Gregory of Nazianzus said, you know, that which he didn't assume has not been healed. So essentially Christ mm -hmm. had to assume everything about us in, in the human flesh, including our minds, so that because he was, you know, resurrected and, and conquered Satan, sin and the devil, we, he's now given us the ability through, by, through baptism and repentance, forgiveness of sins that were received to now live the life and the likeness that was was marred. Uh, from the beginning, you know, we're all creating the image, nothing that hasn't gone away, but the likeness has certainly been been stained. And, and, and so what we are able to do is because he's deified the mind by living in this life like us, but doing it perfectly, that mind has been restored. So now we it's like we have this access and this this almost like superpower and, and capability of now having the same mind of Christ. And now we're going to fall short. We're going to come nowhere near. Like obviously, he was perfect in this. But the, just the sheer fact that we're able to grow in virtue um, via our minds, because it is a faculty that Christ has assumed. He didn't just assume just the soul. I think that's another heresy that I, I can't remember what it was. Um, but it, it's the idea that now, because he's assumed all of us, and as we are in Christ, we can now grow and, and with our minds and knowledge, use the reason and logic that is from God. The reason and logic isn't from us. You know, that's the nice thing. Logic is abstract. It's outside of us. It's accepting that there's universals, that there is truth claims that can be justified. If you don't accept that, then everything becomes arbitrary. And you just kind of have to just stick with your own kind of worldview about what Christianity means to you, what's Bible seems correct in terms of like the interpretation of it. And then go find a church that kind of suits and fits kind of that particular domain um, of, of how you're thinking. And it, it's, it's like when we look at the idea of revelation. Do you wonder sometimes, um, and I'm talking specifically with pastors, and this probably is a pride thing, but why is it that the fact that they they would have so so much trouble accepting that there's been sound doctrine? Going back to the example of the church that split over, I won't say what it was, but it was a minute doctrinal thing that certainly can have some dire implications that would be damaging and unhealthy. But nonetheless, I'm looking at and hearing this and thinking, why can't you just look backwards? The doctrines have already been given to us, but for you, it's it, why are they, maybe it's because they don't know, or, or I don't know. It's, it's kind of baffled me a bit and maybe I'm, I'm too analytical on how I think and approach this, but uh, yeah. Yeah. It's well, the paradigm is, is what's sad is that when we're brought up in a paradigm where it's just scripture, right? We're given, okay, it's, it's, you just, you know, cling to scripture this is what you're supposed to believe. Uh, that's the problem is that there's no objective, you know, again, it goes back to the Legos, right? If the box is taken away and you just have the pieces, that's the problem is everybody's going to do their best. Everybody's going to do their best. The box of Legos is gone. You don't know what these pieces were supposed to be put together. Right. Right. We can't unify over, uh, you know, the objective way these Legos were supposed to be put together. So that's the problem right there. The presupposition of, truth as just being, well, when I look at these verses, two plus two is equal five. That's the thing. If, if we, we're not given the proper, let's just say education, critical thinking skills, sadly, in the public schools, I mean, not to attack those. I mean, you know, teachers, you know, we love you. You know, we appreciate you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're underpaid. But in the end of the day, yeah. the public curriculum should be critical thinking. Because if we do, if we had more critical thinking, then I think we would be able to question things and get away from just 
this guy's interpretation and then and then 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 you like read the bible and like no i think i like this interpretation that there, that will always be in that paradigm that's the thing it's the paradigm that you're looking and interpreting the world from and when you start seeing uh logic and questions as not vain philosophy as people can attack you sometimes if you question too much of oh this is vain philosophy you're just thinking that a logical conclusion means because it doesn't really make sense that i'm wrong well yeah, yeah, I mean, it, that's okay. I mean, it's okay to use your reasoning faculties as part of your Christian life to discern truth. And when those are cut off and you're just expected to just go with what what is the lines we hear? This is what's supposed to settle it, right? Uh, it's clear in scripture. That's it. Um, who, what do you know? You know, and then they might do the authority card. What do you know? I'm the pastor of the church. In the end of the day, questions though, we all can go back to two plus two equals four. We should always be able to agree that that's, that equals that. Well, in some states, <laughs> they're trying to change that. They're trying to make numbers as nominalism, as we right. sadly have made Christianity for so long nominalistic. That's what the it, church is It's doing. just in our head. It's, it's following suit with the world. I mean, that's the end of the day, what's happening here. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. accepting the idea that they, the world doesn't like objective truth in certain elements, even to the extent of numbers, um, Portland. And, and they yeah. just want to change the idea of what math might even look like here. The same part, the church is doing the same thing. And, you know, all we want in love is for them to, to realize that there has been an established authority. We'd say this, this objective normative authority of namely the church, you know, it's like if, if I'm holding up two fingers to you, Brandon, and maybe three other people, Everyone right now, the world says everyone come up with what they see Scott is doing. So one example might be someone would say, ah, that looks like you're holding two fingers. You might say, ah, that's a peace sign. Um, another person might say, I just see fingers or I only see um, three less than five on his right hand. You know, you're going to get probably an extensive amount of different variations. And, and seemingly they're all somewhat correct, right? It is a peace sign. It is two. Mm-hmm. It, but Without revelation, which in this case, I would say to you, Brandon, who would be speaking to other people, hey, what I'm holding up is two. It's not a peace sign. So when you go and proclaim this, you're telling everyone that that's two. And if somebody goes to you and says, no, that's a peace sign, you can say objectively, no, 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 no. This this has already been given to me. The knowledge and this, I know this analogy fails to an extent, but the idea is the church has been given the objective doctrinal truths, and we say this in the epistemology, all lies under the, the grounding of the, the councils in the first, you know, undivided church in a thousand years or so, where they were given the ability to challenge those who were, were bringing these truth claims and saying, no, I think that looks like a peace sign. Well, let's get together. Let's east and west. Let's all figure this out. Okay, no, you're wrong, Mr. So-and-so. It's not a peace sign. It's two. We know this. And then that then becomes established as doctrinally sound. And then it, when we say anathematized in, in the analogy, the peace is now anathematized. And, and anybody that wants to say that is true, we can just now look backwards and say, nope, that's already been condemned. That's what we're saying. We're saying we can look back at the at the original church, the early church that, you know, that has given us the keys that the, the bishops from the east and west that would gather in these councils to determine what's true. If they if they if there was no infallibility behind that, Brandon, then I think you're stuck. I think then it becomes arbitrary. So then I think you start looking at even the early church as kind of like a, a lunchroom where you just pick and choose on a buffet what you like and what you don't like. Which going back to the Gavin Ortland example is kind of what he did. He, he's accepting <laughs> that there's an original or historic church of the councils, and I, I'm sure he would affirm it as as they were valid. 
to an extent, but I don't know if he would say that they were infallibly inspired because of the canons and the objective and outcomes that came from those councils that gave us the, the Trinitarian God and the proper view of what the Trinity is. And that's why we have the creed uh, established. If, if, if it really wasn't infallibly inspired, then anybody can go back and say, well, it's a good attempt, but they, I don't think they necessarily got it right. And, and so I'm going to, I like this part. I like Nicaea, but I don't like this area in the seventh council because it's about icons and I'm already going to have my presuppositions around icons because that's what I'm going to do and bring to the table. And then everything falls back on you. And now everyone's going back to the idea of, I don't know if that's two fingers. I, I honestly believe that it's a peace sign, or I think it's, you know, whatever that might be. Divine revelation says that the church will prevail. And Christ says to the apostles, he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And I don't know, it, it hum, humility says, I'm going to accept that. And I'm going to, it's not like you accept it blindly. I guess maybe we can go into that really quickly. Is somebody just simply, if, if they're saying, okay, Scott and Brandon, I get the idea, the logic, you're right. This makes sense. There has to be an objective church. Could, what is it to those who might say, well, I don't, is it wrong for me to just accept it blindly? Like what, what could they do to know that it isn't just a matter of just believe it? Cause we've been pushing back on people that do that. We would challenge someone. If, if a teacher says to my kid, just believe X is Y. I would always tell my kid, well, ask the question, why is X, Y? You know, we want you to challenge. So how can one challenge even our claim that there is an objective church without just us saying, hey, just accept it? Well, yeah, questions should will, will reveal the strength or weakness of a position. So you should be questioning everything we're telling you. Uh, tell, you know, and, and we hope to have people on who maybe want to take us to task on some things because we're here for objective truth. And if you have it better than us, we'll take it honestly. Uh, so uh, it, it's about objective truth in the end of the day um, it, and, and having an objective position and not feeling like the when you go to your church, the position is just in some guy's head. So yeah, no, if you if you take everything, right, uh, the, the uh, church in the West would have like the three-legged stool view of like scripture, tradition, and reason. So when you put all those together and you have a truth claim, can it all flow together? Uh, I believe the East would call it symphonia. So when yeah. you take any truth claim, right, it's like, no, you shouldn't just take everything, just, oh, well, I should just, I'm just going to submit and, you know, blindly just, you know, I'll just, yeah, I don't want to think about this. I'll just, I'll find a bishop and just do whatever they say. Well, no, no. I mean, you should still like look and see, you know, if the bishop's going away from the dog, dogmatic declarations of the councils, that should be a little concerning. Um, but when you look at history, when you look at, it's not just picking and choosing church fathers, it's looking at what is the, the, you know, for example, we don't just pick and choose one church father. You look at the councils who are kind of like the filter. Some of the councils, you know, would would kind of filter out some of Augustine's teachings and say, yeah, he was good here, but we got to, you know, put this in check. We that's that's exactly like you have to make sure that when you have an objective truth claim, you 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 look at the whole holistic aspect of it, right? Do you do you have? Um, are you able to question the yeah the yeah? Do you have a consensus and does when somebody says, "Well, I have the," you know, it's like if somebody just isolates the scriptures apart from tradition, apart from logic. Well, you know, you're in trouble now because it's like, well, anybody could do that, right? Well, now, well, okay, well, I got tradition and scriptures. I got some church fathers and other people say this, and I'm like, but yeah. Then logic comes and goes, like we did with Gavin Ortland. Wait a minute, though. Like you're saying, these fathers were iconoclasts, but now you're going to take that and say that the Seventh Council was wrong. See, we're using logic here. Okay, so I guess now 
somebody else can come in and say that this council's wrong, and now we'd have to affirm their position as well. You see that? Hopefully, that wasn't too confusing. But you well, should have good. scripture. You should have scripture. That should be there. You should have uh, tradition, uh, and you should have logic. You should have them all three working in like like I like how the East says it, symphonia. And I think that's really good. And I think in the end of the day, if you go back to the numbers, uh, two plus two equals four. Here's the thing. If this scripture plus this scripture doesn't equal what the ecumenical councils uh, decided, well, I'm sorry, that's wrong. If this scripture plus this church father doesn't equal what the ecumenical council said, it's wrong. And how can I say that? Because it's that's the only objective position we can take is two plus two equals four. The Bible decided by the church, interpreted by the church, is objective outside of us. As soon as we go away from that, two plus two doesn't have to equal four anymore. It can be this verse plus this church father equals this. Yeah, it's whatever you want. I mean, we would say the the impossibility of the contrary, if there is no objective way of discerning or deciphering what is true and what is wrong or false and right or sound and and heretical, you know, because then we can go back to, we've talked about, I think it's the second show we got into Arianism, around the idea where he had his verses and he made his truth claims. And if we're just treating the early church and the councils during that time, as just, you know, a glorified Bible study, they did their best, but they didn't have everything. They didn't have all the means to fully understand doctrine. Then modern day Jehovah's witnesses are absolutely correct. And yes, they, there's some obvious you know areas in which you would say, okay, that's going to be easy to refute, but nonetheless, they can use your, the same logic and say, well, you have nothing to stand on. Because everything that you believe is is based off of what you see, and you have this kind of interpretive battle between you and the the, the Jehovah's Witness, for this example, around what is who is Christ, you know, the Trinity, all of this. This has happened. I've done this before, and and you kind of go in circles because both of you are kind of presupposing that there really wasn't anything established. It's up to you to determine what is true, and what we're saying is no. We believe these are infallibly inspired. These councils have got together to give us the proper Trinity. And what was improper was anathematized, was condemned as heresy. And those that have gone astray into those heresies are these modern day churches and and, and other sects that we can point to. And I think that's one of the other shows we should do, Brandon, is just talk mm-hmm. about all the heresies that were, were I guess, um, told or accepted uh, consensus wise, uh, the conciliar mind of the church saying, OK, this is heresy. We can show you what that church looks like now. You know, Arianism would be modern day Jehovah's Witness, for example. But there's so many other ones. And I think that might be helpful for the, the listeners to see that. Oh, that I, I didn't realize that. Like, it's almost like an easy battle. Like, you know, you can go with the J-Dub and say, well, you know, we don't have, we can go to the scriptures. But let's just start that your church has already been condemned uh, in the in you know the time of the post-apostolic stage and um, within these councils. And I think, yeah, you need to, you have to wrestle with this. You have to question this as are these councils true that Scott and Brendan are talking about? Are they infallibly true? And what does it mean if I decide that they're no longer or they aren't infallibly true? And all we're saying mm-hmm. logically is then the Trinity could also be incorrect because the Trinitarian doctrine was established in the councils, particularly in Council of Nicaea and Constantinople, where it was all elaborated and, and continued to evolve into what we now have the full fullness of what Trinitarian doctrine is in the Nicene Creed. If you go and read the Nicene Creed, you'll see everything about it. It's all broken down of who is God, who is Christ, who is the Holy Spirit, what is the church, what is baptism. It's all right there for you. And those that want to reject it are basically rejecting that there is no objective truth or an objective church. Yeah. And I think, you know, to to get ready to close this up, I think 
a good here's a good example. Uh, so let's say somebody uses that verse. Uh, what is it? The we look through a glass half dimly to try to make a truth claim that there's you know we can't know truth for sure. Well, that is almost like the heresy of Apollinarianism. Apollinarius taught that Christ, when assuming our human nature, his divine mind, he replaced the human mind. So Christ couldn't have assumed our human mind. So that almost takes an Apollinarius view. So they try to say this verse, plus maybe they'll take a couple other scholars, equals this truth claim. But we know we can say, no, 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 wait a minute. No, 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 because that, that doesn't equal what the council said. The council said Apollinarius, that's heresy. Yeah. Christ assumed all of our human nature, mind, body, soul, will. So that's the thing. Next time somebody says this verse plus this verse plus this church father equals this truth claim, you can say, nope, it doesn't, because that will be a subjective. There's no way you can justify that. You can, that's not objective. This is objective. This verse plus this verse equals Christ assumed our universal human nature, including our mind, and we can know truth. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, until next time, and like I said, I think maybe yeah, we we get into a little bit more on the the heresies that were, um, I guess, talked about in in those times and what that looks like now. This I think that'd probably be helpful. I've learned quite a bit too, and it is eye opening just to see like how many. The obvious ones are there, but there, there's quite a bit of like doctrines of demons that were con- you know, considered heresy doctrines uh, that have found its way into the, even the evangelical church. And so we want to kind of highlight those things and to sift that out. And, and, and hopefully we can see the church become more uh, united from the conciliar mind of the church and the consensus of, of all the church fathers, not just one uh, that would yeah. be the deciding factor. So, um, yeah, I appreciate it. It was a good chat. And uh, I yeah. think I'm looking forward to the next one. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks.